The following production is part of the Play Some Video Games Podcast Network. And welcome to Board with Video Games, the gaming podcast that strives to write battles of coverage for games you play on your table and on your television. You can think of us as the turkey and stuffing of gaming podcasts. We're a proud member of the PSVG Podcast Network. I am one of your hosts, Kyle, and joining me on this co-op adventure, the guy who knows the proper way to cook stuffing is outside of the turkey. Josh, how are you doing this week? I'm glad you get two controversial statements right off the bat, calling our listeners turkeys and saying you cook stuffing on the outside of a turkey. Whoa, number one. <laughs> I have turkeys because we're not talking about games playing this week. It's Thanksgiving is the day this game is, is releasing for those of you who are in the U.S., so I thought it was appropriate. Number two, it is not controversial to talk about cooking stuffing on the outside of the turkey. It is the correct way. I think it's controversial. I'm not no. saying – I'm not picking a side because – <laughs> you're like asking me <laughs> I'm picking an aside on this one it's, it's uh, I don't know what it's like where you live but where I live the, the stuffing's cooked inside the turkey well where you live does it wrong Josh <laughs> I'm just gonna say it that is not, not the saying, correct way to do it it means the turkey's gonna be dry by the time the stuffing is done like no they, some people they, would argue you must be cooking your turkey wrong I'm not one of those people <laughs> How do you cook your turkey then, sir? I'm not, I'm not no comment. <laughs> this is a hot topic. I'm not, um, you would think out of all the things I weigh in on, this wouldn't be <laughs> so controversial. But you, whoever, however you cook your turkey and your stuffing, I 100% support your decision <laughs> to do it. <laughs> I mean, true. Okay, do you do you brine your turkey? I'm no Kevin Warner or Justin Austin, so I'm not sure. <laughs> The correct way. Uh, uh, I've I've eaten brined turkey. I've eaten it not brined. I've eaten it deep fried. I've eaten it uh, lots of different ways. Uh, my favorite way to have turkey is deep fried, but that's not on Thanksgiving. That's like Super Bowl Sunday. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, a fried turkey is good. I'm telling you, though, if you have an excellent brined turkey, like that is kind of the best way to make a turkey. Uh, I, I bet if I had it, th- I'm sure there is a way a turkey has been prepared that I haven't tried yet that is fantastic. Oh, I'm probably. a big fan of turkey in general, so uh, I like it anyway. Okay. So, so here, <laughs> okay, so here we'll go with another potential controversial question in the spirit of Thanksgiving, the day this episode <laughs> <Okay>. releases. <laughs> what is the most average Thanksgiving food? Average. Like, Meaning, so when you think of average. people have. No, in the sense of like half the food that is often at Thanksgiving is worse than it, and the other half is better than it. What is oh, the most average Thanksgiving like food? Mashed potatoes. I feel like that has to be the answer, right? I think so. It has to be, um, or like cranberry sauce. So- cranberry sauce might be like light right on that line. Gotcha. Yeah, I feel like mashed potatoes is kind of like that, like 
middle of the road like they're good they're always hopefully like, ideally like good steamed carrots or like boiled carrots or something like that i don't oh, know if I a can't. lot of people have that what we do gotcha so maybe carrots as well so one last thanksgiving question and then we'll get actually t- talking about games uh you mentioned cranberries are uh, you a, a fresh cranberry person or a jelly cranberry person so I live in Massachusetts. So um, if I said to you that I didn't like fresh cranberries, you might find me like hanging from my flagpole tomorrow morning. <laughs> well, it's not quite Wisconsin. It's not quite cheese in Wisconsin, but I mean, no, like Wisconsin is. I think the number one cranberry state, isn't it? Isn't it just ahead of you guys? That, they have the most cranberry bogs. That would be shocking to me, but I, I, I'm sure it's possible. But I mean, Massachusetts is known for its cranberries, so. Uh, <clears throat> uh, I don't like cranberry jelly. Oh, I really? Don't enjoy it at all? Um, I know I'm in the min- minority in that topic, um, so I'm all fresh cranberries. But if I'm having cranberries, it's not really on Thanksgiving unless it's like a pie. But I'm not having. Oh. I'm not having like the jelly cranberry with my meals. Uh, but that's for me. I have a consistency issue. That's um, people, reasonable. People might feel with me like I can't eat pudding because it looks solid, but it is not. Uh, so <laughs> I, have, I have some issues going on in my brain. <laughs> hey, consistency and texture. You, cranberry guy? Consistency and texture is a big deal. I totally understand. And, right. you know, for how snobby I am about food, and I like fresh cranberries, I, I don't know what it is. I think it might just be like nostalgia and uh, growing up with it. I love jellied cranberries. Like when you, they come out of the can and they're still the same shape as the can. I don't know what <laughs> it is about them. I just love them. And I know like everything that is a food snob about me like cringes, but I just love them. <laughs> okay. You're allowed to have guilty pleasure foods. So anyway, but hey, this isn't a Thanksgiving podcast. This is a gaming podcast. So thanks so much for joining us this week. As always, if you have any feedback, questions, suggested topics, hit us up at BoardWithVG on Twitter. Also check out all the stuff that Josh is posting over on Instagram, also at BoardWithVG. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash BoardWithVG. So we'd love for you to have a give us a five-star rating over there. And if you want to communicate long form, we take emails, BoardWithVG at gmail.com. You can also use that hashtag board with VG so original on all the social medias to help us know what you're playing, what you're doing, kind of what you are up to. And if you are listening to us on the PSVG podcast feed, just a reminder that board with video games has its own podcast feed as well. So if you want to be a little selective about your listening, you can do that and choose to listen to us individually, though all the podcasts on PSVG are quite Excellent. So that's enough of the housekeeping. Josh, it's a news week. So uh, what's been some of the hot news in the board game world, sir? Oh, well, you know, nothing big. Just another giant Kickstarter uh, hits uh, our faces. Um, (laughs) So another big video game franchise is headed to the tabletop. Uh, Assassin's Creed Brotherhood of Venice is currently on Kickstarter. It's being published by Triton Noir. The game is a cooperative mission-based tactical board game for one to four players. Uh, That's right. Cooperative mission-based tactical board game. That is what it is. Uh, According to the Kickstarter, the campaign should last more than 20 hours and all this can be yours for a low, low price of $119. Uh, And you'll get it likely sometime in 2020. Uh, What do we think about this Assassin's Creed board game, Kyle? Did you play Assassin's Creed Arena? That was the other one, right? Was that the Uh, other... 
It was the other one. And you know what? I didn't know it existed until recently. Saw some people selling it on like a, um, a board game reselling group I'm part of on Facebook. And mm-hmm. it immediately piqued my interest. But um, I, I, I don't know much about it because I didn't know uh, it was a thing until recently. Yeah. So it was published by Cryptozoic, if I recall, back in the day. And if I remember, I could be wrong. I don't think it was very good. I, I think it was looked pretty poorly upon it. I don't think there was a lot of fans of that game. Um, and I never had a chance to play it, but the reviews for it were pretty mixed. So I never decided to really seek it out or take the time. And, you know, when this game was announced and I saw the Kickstarter for this, you know, Brotherhood of Venice game, I was pretty excited about it. I was like, an Assassin's Creed game. I'm really enjoying playing. Looking forward to jumping back into this world and and, and experiencing Assassin's Creed, especially because they're going back to Venice. You know, um, Ezio is in the game, I believe, is that there's a, at least there's a miniature for Ezio. So really kind of was like excited about this. And then I saw the price. And again, I was like 120 bucks. Now I will say, there's a ton of stuff in this box. For the $120, you are getting a ton of things. So it's really, it's hard for me to say that it's not worth the price because there's a lot of cool stuff in there. It seems to have some sort of almost, I don't want to say legacy aspect, but there's definitely a campaign to it for like every campaign. Like you open a new envelope and you pull out additional cards and other things that you add to the game that aren't in there. There's like a 10 inch assassin's tower that comes in the game. That's pretty sweet looking. Like there's a lot of things that are in there, but $120 for a game that I'm going to get two years from now Mm -hmm. with again, a game printed by a different company with, but with the same IP that was, overall pretty universally panned do i want to take this risk and i just can't decide i you know if it wasn't november and the holidays were right around the corner i might be a little more willing to jump in but i have a lot of places to spend 120 dollars right now and i don't know if this game is the place to spend 120 dollars. how about you sir so um i mean obviously the assassin's creed uh, ip interests me a lot uh <clears throat> and the game itself looks um obviously look great it's another miniatures game but this is the problem i have it's not the 119 dollars at this point um unfortunately it's kind of becoming normal for most kickstarters um i think the problem i have with this and it's not assassin's creed um or triton noir it's that we've had all these big ips on kickstarter and we haven't seen any of them yet And that's starting to give me hesitation uh, and, and maybe have some worry because we're just in that like that middle point where people have backed games almost as far as a year and a half ago, and we still haven't seen those games, but more games keep coming out. And when I say out, I don't mean out, I mean available to back. So now I, I'm kind of getting into this point of blind backing because there's no proof of concept or proof of design that I've seen people be able to show off for games specifically like this, like the Batman game from Monolith, um, the Harry Potter game. Uh, The Harry Potter game, the miniatures one, I'm already seeing it heavily discounted places, but I've not seen it in anyone's hands. So these are things that are worrying me. Um, So I think... For now, for like video game IPs uh, or even films, 
like this. I think I'm going to have to stay away from Kickstarters um, uh, just for my own peace of mind for right now. I, I'm just feeling a little weary about them. Yeah, um, I can understand that. I mean, there are 117 miniatures in this game. Yes. I mean, that's a lot, right? And that's as of right now. You know, as the Kickstarter keeps going on, I think it's a little over 500000 <laughs> excuse me, $500,000 right now. Um, as they obviously they have a, a number of, of stretch goals still to unlock more. But I think, again, you know, this is one of those games that's out on Kickstarter. It's 120 bucks for the base box. There's already a $50 expansion you can buy if you want to. So now you're into for 170 you know, and then there's like an alternate miniature Ezio. That's another like seven or eight bucks. Like, so there's all these other things that you can already buy. So it's already like, oh, if I buy the game, not even so much like video games that are like, oh, buy the season pass and in three months you'll get this thing it's day one you already don't have all the content for the game right exactly and i get why they do it because i'm sure that this keeps the base price of the game as low as it can be in a lot of ways because how much more difficult would it be to swallow to be like oh yeah the entry level price is 170 right exactly and and who wants to get a game and get all the expansions at the same time and not you don't play a base game like right. I get like uh, like so Fireball Island people are just starting to get and I know that it comes with expansions in it and I think that's great that people get those things but I'm uh I I don't want to buy a game and immediately buy expansions for it because then I'm never experiencing the game as it was so and that's just a me thing like when I got Ascension, we talked about me buying all the Ascension, Ascension expansions in a couple episodes back. But yeah, I was super psyched to get those cards, but I also played the base game a bunch. And I was like, yeah, this is a game I want more cards for. Like Guardians, yeah, I can't wait for more characters to come out. But if we bought Guardians Day 1 and had two expansion packs with it, like that's fine. But how is that altering your view of the game, I wonder? Right. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, but for me, I don't necessarily want to back a game on Kickstarter. And then like, I'm seeing all these people get these games in recently from Kickstarter, like village attacks. And it comes with like 50 boxes and you're like, gee, I'm exaggerating, but it's right. like, it's like 15 boxes. And you're like, which one's the base game? What do you do? Do you play the base game? Do you include them all at the same time? So I think like while Kickstarter is obviously thriving, I think it's getting, like ahead of itself content wise, at least the creators are. Right. Um, but that's not again, that's not an Assassin's Creed knock. That's just a observation I'm making off of it already coming with an expansion you can buy. Right. So or I think you don't know it's good or not. <laughs> right. So I think I mean both of us obviously both really enjoy Horizon Zero Dawn. If you ever see the mm. the videos that we I I know we don't typically post our, the actual video of us recording, but like we both have Horizon Zero Dawn artwork in the background. Yes. Both of us backed out on that board game. Yeah, it was too much. You know, I think I, if I had to venture a guess, I know I like Assassin's Creed. I feel like you're an Assassin's Creed fan to a degree as well, right? Yes. Yeah. I, I, do you think either one of us is going to back this game? This is the thing. Like, this is like this is the Assassin's Creed that was my bread and butter. The mm -hmm. first three Assassin's Creed games, those games I love the most. Because for me, that gives me my linear storyline that right. I like so much. <clears throat> um. So like this is right up my alley, but yeah, I I, I can't back and I can't back this for a lot of reasons. But I mean, I'm going to packs next week. I'm having fun 
commodity for 35 want to spend 35 bucks I could be spending elsewhere. So, right. you know, if it was a different time of the year, I might be more interested in it, but right now I can't even, I can't even give it a second thought. It's a, it's an absolute no for me right away. Yeah. Which I think is unfortunate just because time of the year, like I think, do we, do you think, I mean, this is only partially related. Do you think we're hitting a point where are we getting oversaturated with these games at these prices? I, I keep thinking we are, but then they keep funding, right? Like this one's at a half million dollars. They're not at multiple, you know, 2 million like Fireball Island was. But, you know, they're well over $500,000. Are we hitting a... Do you think we're ever going to hit a point? Are we eventually going to hit that saturation point where there's just too many expensive games and that the market just isn't big enough to handle it? I think we have to, unless, like, billionaires are secretly board game fans. Because, like, <laughs> I, I, don't know where, I don't know where all the money is coming from. I really don't. Um, clearly, this is <clears throat> touching on how understated the board gaming audience is. Like we think there's gamers. I think that's what Kickstarter is proving to us is there's a much larger fan base out there that aren't as vocal. Right. Um, uh, whether that's from like guilt and shame or just they don't want to admit like that they're board game players and they're still stuck in the like 80s, 90s, D&D like, like stereotype or if it's just people that are like us that are picking picking and choosing games to back and not back. So like we passed on Horizon Zero Dawn. So maybe the reason why Horizon Zero Dawn was successful is because those people passed on Kingdom Death Monster before that. So like that could be it too. But eventually, like right now, there's no, there's nothing stopping a company from trying to gobble up an IP and make a board game out of it because they're all being successfully funded. But eventually there will be too many IPs out at the same time and something will not get funded and then everyone will take a step back to make sure they're making a wiser decision. Um, not that these decisions aren't wise, but um, all it takes is a Bubsy IP or uh, Earthworm Jim game to make someone like realize they, they backed an IP just because they thought they could get the game made, not right. necessarily because they were passionate about it. Right. And it was more of a money move. So I think we'll hit that threshold at some point. Yeah, I do. Um, I always have to, I always have to remind myself too, though, that, you know, the board game industry is very different than the video game industry. Um, I'm still waiting for my Fireball Island like shipping notification. I still haven't gotten it. I see all these people taking pictures of their unboxings and I'm like, well, maybe someday, maybe someday. <laughs> Granted, they said when we got the initial thing saying shipping has started, they said it would take up to two weeks and it's been a little over a week at this point. So I'm, trying to not be impatient but i'm clearly failing but i think about that game which was a quote-unquote huge success and it sold yeah. sixteen thousand copies on kickstarter or at least sixteen thousand copies in the united states but that's you know, like based on an existing that's like a nostalgia buy right and think about a video game being like yeah it was a huge success at selling sixteen thousand copies right you know like that would be I, that's nothing that's nothing you know so i think that's the thing i have to always think about of like yes you know this assassin's creed game i think is you know just shy of five thousand people have backed it so it's not like you have to find five million people to buy these things all the time it's a very small group of people that you're trying to find buy these all the time to get them funded to be made and the teams that make these games are not huge you don't have 60 80 100 180 person teams who are making board games you know you have in a bigger studio 12 people, 20 people. Yeah. Most of them are a handful, you know, five, six people. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah. 
Anyway, hey, that's a, that's all about uh, Assassin's Creed. I would love to know if listeners, any of the listeners are excited or have backed this game. Um, I'd really love to know why and kind of what pushed them over the edge. So if you are interested or if you have backed it, hit us up at Board of VG. Let us know. Great. Well, let's continue some board game news. Uh, this one has me particularly excited, and I'm not even really sure why. But <laughs> uh, So while Triton Noir is pushing a video game IP hitting the table, Folks over at Asthma Day, hope you are interested in a different type of IP coming to Target exclusively. And that is Black Mirror Nosedive. Uh, and that's setting shelves uh, Sunday, November 25th, right? That's Sunday? I hope so. Yeah, it must be. Because uh, I'm sure, just like Villainous, I'll show up to Target on Sunday and <laughs> will not be on the shelf. Uh, it'll also be interesting that's hitting on uh, Black Friday weekend. So right. there will be chaos ensuing. Uh, we'll see if it hits the shelf early or at all. Right. And um, you're you are correct, it is Sunday. Okay. So uh, and based on the popular on the popular episode of the show that shares the same name of Nosedive, uh, we know almost nothing about the game. And that's a very, and other than a very brief description from Day, which reads Modeled after the iconic Black Mirror episode of the same name starring by Stellis Howard and Nosedive, players are challenged to create a perfect, quote, perfect, sorry, life by collecting lifestyle cards while avoiding any, quote, dings to their social score. Uh, integrated with the free Nosedive smartphone app available on iOS and Android, the game includes over 1,000 unique experiences to impress players important friends and improve their social standing. Nosedive features light social and strategic gameplay that is engaging, interactive, and accessible for new players. Um, so that's what we know. The game is out five days from this recording. Um, I'll tell you a little synopsis of the episode as I'm a huge Black Mirror fan. Essentially, Bryce Dallas Howard uh, is a woman living in a world of social media where they use this program that is Instagram, essentially, and you are rated as a person uh, based off of the pictures you take. And if the food looks good that you're eating, you can get a bump. If you're polite and hold the door open for someone, you get a bump. Uh, if you're familiar with Good Place, there's an episode very similar um, where Eleanor has to increase her score. Uh, it's very similar to that. Um, and, you know... Well, Bryce Dallas Howard's character starts going on a nosedive in her score and tries to come out of it. Uh, Alice Eve is also in it. She's um, she was in Star Trek and um, she's out of my league, which is a very funny movie. Um, I, I enjoyed the episode. My buddy does not because he finds it annoying, which I can <laughs> totally see uh, if you're not a, like if you get are annoyed by social media. Um, so the question to us and to you, Kyle, first is. Are you excited about Black Mirror Nosedive? And do you want more Black Mirror games? So I'm a really bad nerd. I've watched like three episodes of Black Mirror in my entire life. Uh, <laughs> I, I like it. I just have never gotten around back to it, basically. Um, so I've not seen this particular episode. Uh, but I do like Bryce Dallas Howard. So I, I, it kind of has piqued my interest in it a little bit more. I think I am, I will say, moderately interested in this game. Mostly because it comes out in five days and we have no idea what it is. <laughs> We have no way, as far as I know, from when I looked earlier in the day on Board Game Geek at it, and from when I looked at Asmodee's website, I have no idea who designed it. I don't really know exactly what you do in the game. I, I don't, I kind of know what it looks like because there's a couple pictures, 
and the game was out Sunday. Like we know n- almost nothing about this game, and it seems like they're banking one hundred percent on people being like, "I really like that episode of Black Mirror. Let's buy this game." Yeah, <laughs> and, and I don't know that much about this episode of Black Mirror, so I don't know if I'm going to buy this game. I will say I think it's interesting that they are doing an entire game based off of one episode of a show, which yes. you you know usually when you see games about an IP, it's about like the world or the you know and obviously that doesn't totally work for black mirror but it's about you know the everything that has been created in that universe and this is like no we're gonna make a whole game based off of one episode of one show and i find that to be a little interesting and it makes me wonder if we're going to get more black mirror games especially since this is very clearly labeled as black mirror colon nosedive yeah i mean it's interesting because I'm trying. I'm I've been racking my brain on Black Mirror episodes, and I don't know uh, how you could make other episodes a board game. But I, but I would also never have thought this would be a board game. <laughs> um, I could tell you. I can come up with some ideas about some decisions you have to make with a pig. <laughs> yes. Ex- yeah. That's <laughs> also. Uh, it, it should be uh, noted that. This is ages 13 plus. It's three to six players. Oh, that's interesting. And that's kind of a bummer because <laughs> I did not realize that. That is a bummer. That immediately makes me way less interested, which is unfortunate for every three player game ever. But I just, the chances of me buying it are so much less. Uh, but you can, if you look at this picture, you can like zoom in on um, the, the cards mm-hmm. so, because people can hear my clicking. Um, but there's cards like a creaky bunk bed, two stars, an autonomous robot dog, three stars, an inspirational poster taped to your cubicle, two stars, double damage, all negative rankings count two times. Um, so it's definitely playing on the score aspect of the episode. It's a small box, so I'm going to go ahead and guess this is $20 or under game. Mm-hmm. Um, which would be more appealing to me, and I would certainly pick it up, uh, even though it's three to six players, uh, if it's twenty bucks or under. Right. Because basically, I would just have people come over, watch the episode, and then play the game. You know, for people who haven't seen the episode. Right. Uh, or, or I might play the game with my wife, and then have her watch the episode after. I think it's great. I think it's. I think we kind of just talked about the downfalls of like kickstarter and like assassin's creed being an ip on there now but i also think it's a great time where we are in uh, a time where they can put a game out like this mm-hmm. and uh people who don't know black mirror they're just gonna look at this and be like what what am i looking at are right. they gonna buy it who knows um but this kind of speaks to target's commitment to board games absolutely as, well as asmodee showing the with all this power they have and all these companies, there's they're eating up that they're still willing to take risks on games that may not pay off. So mm-hmm. I like that too. I think it speaks a lot more about Target and Asmodee than it necessarily does about what this game is going to be. Gotcha. Any other thoughts about Black Mirror Nosedive? No, I mean, go check out the episode. Let us know if you find it annoying uh, or if you thought... <laughs> I had I had sympathy for the character. My friend found her incredibly annoying, which I can also see. But if you've seen it, let us know what you think. If you haven't, go watch it. Check and it I will. Out. And I will say, as a brief uh, callback to a, a earlier episode a while ago, 
Um, I finished the two seasons of The Good Place that are on Netflix, and it got much better. I didn't start finding it funny, and I would just like to say, because I don't think I said this on air, but maybe I did, I totally called it. Oh, okay, yeah, well, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to say I should be you a TV did. exec or anything, but I should be a TV exec or something. You did call it. You did say it on the episode you were talking about what you thought was going to happen. Oh, did, did you I, start well, watching season three on Hulu? I have not started watching season three yet, no. Okay. I started, watching, I started watching Dogs on Netflix. Oh, uh, I've heard bad. I've heard emotional things. So I don't know oh my gosh! I cried like four times in the first thirty minutes of the first episode. It was great. Uh, but hey, you know what? We'll talk, we'll talk about the well-rounded life stuff later. Let's right. move on to some video game news. <laughs> so while the rumors and speculation about the next generation of consoles are starting to heat up, it looks like Xbox isn't quite done with revisions of their current console family. According to Therat, Microsoft will be releasing a version of the Xbox One without a disc drive next year in order to help lower the cost of entry and get the regular price of the console below the $200 mark. Included with this, according to Therat, will be a disc-to-digital program where you can go to participating retailers, trade in the disc version of your game, and get a download code for it. Josh, are you excited about an Xbox One without a disc drive? I don't know that excited would be the word I would use. Um... I think it's cool that they're offering the um, digital version for a physical copy because that's a very nice thing to offer. We feel like that's probably only going to happen at Microsoft stores, right? Like you're not going to be able to go into GameStop and do this. (laughs) Probably not GameStop, but maybe Best Buy or Target or Walmart. Someone who doesn't thrive on Mm pre-owns, but definitely not GameStop, I don't think. I'd be shocked. Um, I think we talk about this a lot on our show. This is the way that Microsoft is going and they've wanted to go. I think this is a great idea because this is going to ease people into the next generation of consoles. We're still in this area of um, people not wanting to part with physical games, myself being one of those people who had a hard time doing that. I'm not going to buy another Xbox without a disk drive because I use my 4K Blu-ray player and... The last thing I want them to do is go the route of the HDD drive they did for the 360, which was a waste of my money that I bought. Um, so uh, there's obviously negatives without a disk drive. You don't have uh, the uh, access to a Blu-ray player. You don't have access to a physical game if Xbox Live is down. Um, there's definitely there's definitely some drawbacks. But I think it's smart of them to make an affordable console for people and make it a little bit easier for that transition from physical to digital, in my opinion. I think that I think it's a well, I hope it's a smart move for them, but I think it's the logical next move, regardless of next gen or current gen. Right. I think this is an interesting move that I think overall I think is good. I think it just shows Xbox continue to continue to diversify and offer their um, customers and their fan base uh, a console that will fit what their needs are. Um, I do wonder a little bit about who that currently already has an Xbox would switch to this, unless maybe your Xbox, you know, you've had it since launch and it kind of craps out, and you want to save some money, knowing that Scarlet is probably in 2020. Um, so maybe you go this route instead. Because I'm trying to think of, I think it's very cool that they're gonna you know, according to this, you know, do the disc to digital thing. I think that's cool that they're going to do that, but I'm just wondering how many people are really going to be taking advantage of that are going to be like, oh, I'm going to get rid of my Xbox that has a 4K Blu-ray player drive in it. 
right. which we talked about how stupid PlayStation was for not having one of those. <laughs> but now I'm going to go get com- rid of it completely. <laughs> yeah. And go totally digital. That just I don't know exactly how many people are going to do that. So I think you're right. I feel like this is potentially more geared towards those who are coming, maybe just starting into this generation, mm-hmm. or those who, you know, if they get an Xbox in 2019 and then a new one is announced for 2020, they don't didn't spend so much on it. So it doesn't feel like such a big deal. Um, and I really am curious to see how this disc to digital is going to work. I think of like, and I know he wouldn't do this, but like if Coach Mo walked into his store with his entire physical game collection <laughs> for Xbox One, are they just going to give him codes for all the hundreds of games he has? No, I'm like, sure. Yeah, it'll be on specific titles. I'm you sure. know, and that's kind of more what I, I'm curious about is like how exactly that's going to work. I think it's cool. I think it's really great that they're doing it. I just really want to go to like the logistics of trying to do that and you have every game available what if it's some random small game what if it's like a into like a limited run well they don't usually do playstation or xbox games but that but what if it's a a small run you know of games and things like that kind of like what are the restrictions that are around that is it literally everything but overall i think this is cool i think this is xbox continuing to redefine how you know they want their uh their ecosystem to be when it comes to gaming and i think this is just one more step towards the future like you said so i think overall it's pretty cool. What would it take for you to get one of the? I know you said you're not planning on it, but what would the situation have to be where you'd see yourself jumping in, you know, at a, you know, 199.99 Xbox One X or Xbox One, excuse me. I mean, maybe if I wanted a console for the bedroom or if my son was older mm-hmm. um, for his room. But like immediately the I think of Seth from the PSXP podcast Yeah. Um, because Seth is very interested in EA Access. And Game Pass. And Game Pass. And this is great for people who haven't jumped on Xbox because of the price point. And, you know, Game Pass is is still doing great things. And EA Access is still doing decent things. Um, So I think for someone who's just looking to go digital and subscription-based, great price point. And and I don't... I don't think 199 is competitive enough. I think it has to be like 150, mm-hmm. just because you can get an Xbox One S for 199 now at this point um, on sales and stuff. Right, so, right, right, yeah. So um, I think like if they were looking at like 149, I think that's incredibly appealing to anyone who doesn't have an Xbox yet. And then yeah. there's obviously people like Coach Mo who are Xbox enthusiasts who probably have it just to have an Xbox their next you know, in between console, but, um, he needs to add one to his kitchen television. So he gets, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe I'll put one in my bathroom. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely see the appeal. I think that Microsoft, it'll be interesting because if you're, if you're a Microsoft family that with three Xbox consoles, your family plan only covers you with two consoles. So they're kind of limiting their fan base on how many consoles they can get if they want to keep all their games. And maybe that'll change. You know, they've been yeah. very they've been very forward thinking about those things and, and the things that they've been doing with it. So maybe that'll change. Maybe the family plan will increase or the number of consoles you can share on will go up. So yeah. Awesome. Well, hey, that's Xbox still doing their thing, still pushing the envelope and, and thinking about things differently and kind of reinventing the way that they are, you know, playing in the game area. Another kind of out of left field announcement of the year happened just recently with PlayStation announcing they're skipping E3 in 2019 completely. No press conference, no floor presence, no offsite thing close to but not connected to E3 that, that is at the same time as E3. 
Sony said in their statement that, quote, as the industry evolves, Sony Interactive Entertainment continues to look for inventive opportunities to engage the community. PlayStation fans mean the world to us, and we always want to innovate, think differently, and experiment with new ways to delight gamers. As a result, we have decided not to participate in E3 2019. We're exploring new and familiar ways to engage our community in 2019 and can't wait, wait to share our plans with you, end quote. So, Josh, after 24 years of doing E3, at the very first E3, they announced the PlayStation and the price and the launch, I think, of PlayStation. They're now opting out. Uh, is this a, is this a big deal? What, is, what does this mean? Yeah, I mean, it's a big deal no matter which side you're on on this. Um, it's a big deal because E3 has been, like, in the death spiral in the past, like, six or seven years. Uh, you see more and more people pulling out or more and more companies doing things offsite. They, you know, if if you were part of the public, you couldn't go and then you could go and then you couldn't go again and you could go again. I mean, they've, they've been all over the place with who's allowed to go. Um, yeah, I mean, we. T- uh, I, I had thoughts on it. Originally, my thoughts were shock and what a big mistake this is for Sony to be doing this. Um, and then, uh, you know, obviously with our Discord, which is open for people to join, um, we talked about it a lot. And I think I started to come around more on, you know, once you have to take more time to think about the decision they made and maybe why they made it. Um, I think someone in the Discord said, um, and I don't remember who it was, they basically said like Sony had like the biggest year of their of the PlayStation last year. And they don't really have too much to announce that the next E3 that we don't already know about. So why do why would they waste resources and money and time to disappoint the hardcore fan base or the the people expecting to see all this new announcements? Like we kind of saw that happen at this year E3, this year's E3, right? People were really down on their press conference. Um, you know, people, they were positives too. People did enjoy it, but I think the majority of the voices were, were negative. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they, you know, they showed a little bit of this and that, but they didn't really blow people away with game announcements, um, which is fine. Like that was their agenda. That's their prerogative. But maybe if you're Sony and you listen to that feedback, you say, you know what, who, who am I out to impress? We had the best year of our lives. Like we don't have to impress people. We have the fan base. They're here for us. They trust Sony to put out good quality content. We don't need to go to E3. Uh, I think that the biggest loss is for E3, not for Sony. Um, And unfortunately, when you say it's a loss for E3, you're also saying it's a loss for the fans, the people who are paying thousands of dollars to travel to California to go experience Sony. Because, you know, you don't really get to last year. Nintendo wasn't really there. Um, they finally came back and made a presence on the show floor last year or this year, I should say. Um, so you, you're, I don't know. I, I'm not saying they're alienating their audience, but they're taking away Sony from people who may have wanted to go there and experience Sony. Yeah. I think a couple of things now, obviously I am the resident PlayStation fanboy on the podcast. Mm-hmm. So I am going to try to be measured in what I say, because I, I don't want this to come off as, Everything I'm saying is glowing. I think this is a huge risk. And and I think the reason this is a huge risk is, to be clear, I love E3. I think E3 is a great, fun time. I take time off of work for E3, 
and I watch the press conferences when they happen. And then when the press conferences are over and E3 actually starts, I watch the live streams of like the developers coming in and talking for 20 minutes about their games. And then they get another one from another one. Like I take time off of work to do that because I enjoy it. And when I'm doing that, I am watching the PlayStation stream of it. I am not watching the IGN or the GameSpot or any of those other ones. I watch the PlayStation stream because that's where I, the ecosystem that I live in. There is concern, obviously, that this is the hubris of the end of the PlayStation 2 area, beginning of the PlayStation 3 era, going, we don't need E3 to be successful. I don't totally think that's what this is, though. I think very much what this is, is that Sony knows that in 2020, they're going to launch a new console. They are also trying to figure out when they're going to, in that year, launch that console and how they're going to market that console. I would suspect that this means that sometime next summer, we are going to get an individual standalone PlayStation event announcing the PlayStation 5. And they don't want to do that at E3 because at E3, they will own that news cycle for that night. And that is it. Mm. And they want ever they want the next week plus to everyone be talking about the PlayStation 5 event of whenever that is. End of June, middle of July, August, May, whenever it is. So, so I think that's why they're not going to E3 is because when they come out, they're coming out saying, hey, this is what we're talking about in the summers. We're announcing the PlayStation 5. And we're going to give you a brief glimpse at a couple things coming. And then in December, they're going to do PSX again. They're going to go back to PSX and they're going to blow out. Here's the stuff that you're all the games you're going to be playing in launch window for PlayStation 5. And I suspect I could be wrong, but I feel like maybe PlayStation 5 is coming early 2020, not holiday 2020. Like March. Yeah, like similar to what Switch did. I, I can I, Because if that wasn't true... Then this seems a little weird because otherwise you could push everything back like you did before when PlayStation 4 launched and you could hold your event in even at PSX. You could do it in PSX of 2019 for a holiday 2020 release. So that's why I feel like I don't think you you want that year and a half or year like 14 month cycle. I think they're really shooting for, you know, closer to like a 10, eight month cycle of news for that. So I kind of feel like that's maybe why they're doing this. And I think there is a situation, like you said, that they spent millions of dollars, I'm sure, last year to do their presentation. And then people are like, well, that was dumb. So do they really want to spend millions of dollars again to show the same games because they don't want to share the PS5 to share the spotlight and have everyone be like, well, that was dumb again. <laughs> right. You know, like, I I don't know. Obviously, I, I have no, like, I am just purely speculating but I feel kind of like what that's what they're shooting for. I hope that, you know, Xbox comes out and has a killer E3. I hope Nintendo comes out and has a killer E3 and the third parties come out and do great things. Um, I am more interested to see what this means for PlayStation because they said in August that, uh, or maybe it was early September, they came out and said, hey, we realize we haven't been communicating in a way that has been effective and that you don't feel like you've been hearing from us. We are looking to change that. And since then, the crossplay thing has happened. The name change thing, for no matter how messed up that is, <laughs> has happened. You know, like these things are starting to happen. Sean Landis has been on the PlayStation broadcast multiple times since then. Um, they're starting to talk more than they have were the previous two years. So I'm hoping that we're going to see more Nintendo Direct, Xbox. What do they call them? Their presentations. Oh. That was um. That I always forget because yeah, it's but they're like little two-hour, <laughs> hour, two-hour presentations. They do like once a month or every other month. Inside I, Xbox. Thank you, Inside Xbox. I feel like we're gonna start getting more of that from PlayStation moving forward. 
um, and that they're going to start doing more speaking directly to the fans, not through the media to the fans. And while I think people are saying, oh, it looks like they're abandoning their fans, I think this is actually them trying to connect directly with them rather than going through a press conference that is meant for, you know, it's still E3 is still a buying conference, you know, like, hey, look how cool our games are. You should order a whole bunch of them. Um, yes, fans can go now, but it's still very much that. So I feel like that's hopefully what I speculate they're trying to do. But if that's not how it goes, I will <laughs> gladly call them on their crap in a year if we sit here or sitting here a year from now and none of that has happened. Um, I, I will be glad to call them out on it. More than anything, I'm interested to see what this means for them. And that's to me why I like it, because it interests me. I'm really curious now what they're going to do. That's, and that's, and that's the right attitude to have. Everyone is so quick to make snap judgments now. They immediately want to, like you said, it like immediately they want to blame Sony. You're giving up on your fans from get-go. Like, stop. Be curious. See what. See where this is leading. You don't need to, like, they're a corporation. They have to make financial decisions as well it's not like some guy just sitting in an office snapping his fingers like bring me the shrimp and cancel e3 i want this i want that like that's not how these things operate there's a board of people who sit down they they go someone says what do you think about skipping e3 this year and then three other people go that's a terrible idea why would we ever do this and then another guy goes well look at this pie chart or whatever like these are educated decisions that are made. And yeah, sometimes they don't pay off because sometimes people who work for a gaming company don't get what their fans want. But I think that Sony has proven that if anything, they get what their fan base wants. I think if anyone doesn't get their fan base necessarily, right now it's Microsoft. And and that's an Xbox fanboy saying that. Like They still don't know what a... I don't know that they know what a typical Xbox gamer is. I think PlayStation knows who their game players are. So we'll see what happens. I'm with you. I'm curious to see. And while you may call them out on it, you don't have to worry about it because the internet will be all over there. <laughs> well, and I think to just put a, try to put a bow on this and move on, because I know we've been talking a long time about news. I think it's just if you are a PlayStation owner and you're disappointed by this, like, that's okay. You can't be disappointed and you can voice your displeasure of like, hey, I own your system. I own these games for your system. I really look forward to you doing an E3 presentation every year. I am really sad that you're not doing E3 this year. I think that's completely you are more than welcome to do that. You as a consumer of their product are welcome to do that. And I know some people said that they really wanted them to say, we're not doing E3, but here's what we're doing instead. I think it's better for them to kind of hold everything close right now and not put out too many expectations. Because if they said, oh, we're not going to do a huge E3 stage show, but once a month we're going to do a 30-minute little video of you know, what's coming up for PlayStation in the next 30 days. Well, how does that sound anywhere near as cool as an E3 E3 stage show? You know, like, I think almost no matter what they announce after that, they're like, well, here's what we're doing instead. It's almost inevitably going to sound disappointing. But that doesn't mean it's not going to be better in some way as far as the the news that they get you. It might be worse, too. Like, it might be horrible. We'll have to wait and see. But for me, I'm just interested to see what is going to happen here and i think one thing we're forgetting about a little bit or i think a lot of people are forgetting about when they talk about this yes does playstation sell a lot of games in the united states absolutely does xbox sell a ton of games in the united states yes 
Does PlayStation sell a ton of games around the globe? They totally do. Does Xbox? No. Not really. <laughs> it's not Japan. really. Japan kills Xbox. You know, so when you look at the popularity of the PlayStation, like their numbers and their sales are because of Europe, South America, Japan, Asia. Mm-hmm. Like their presence in China right now is huge. Like people talked about how there was no PlayStation experience. There were just not in the U.S. this year. Right. So I think that's the thing to, that people sometimes think about. It's like, well, what about the United States? We're not the only territory that matters to PlayStation. Correct. So, you know, and we have some really great games that are still on the horizon that are coming out next year. So do I want to see another trailer for The Last of Us 2 at E3? I yes. think I, I think I'll, I mean, I do, but yes. I'll probably be OK without it because I'm yeah. sure somebody else will just get somebody will probably just get an arm chopped off or something. <laughs> <laughs> so. All right, but that's enough about PlayStation and E3, but we would love to hear your thoughts. So feel free to share them with us on the social media. Send us an email. Um, we would love to hear what you think about PlayStation skipping E3 in 2019. Good move, bad move. What do you think? With that, as promised, we're going to move on to the topic of the show. And while listening to the show, you might have just finished eating a holiday meal with friends or family. Maybe you're getting ready to do a little shopping or your kids are creating lists for holiday gifts. Maybe you're fortunate enough to get an end-of-the-year bonus and you want to get yourself a little something as a result. Either way, Josh and I are here to help you with a few gaming recommendations or shopping suggestions as we approach the end of the year. To help make this list, we just created a few broad categories, and we're just going to make some suggestions in the categories that we feel like are good fits or games that we enjoy that kind of fit into this general idea um, most of these will be board games. I think all of mine are board games that I'm going to suggest. Um, we might toss in a video game or two just if we're feeling frisky about it. But to start with, we're going to talk a little bit about folks who are looking maybe to introduce their family to gaming. Like, say you just finished up your Thanksgiving, you know, you all got together, you chatted, you ate your meal, and then you realized you had nothing to do with the rest of your evening. So maybe when you get together for your next holiday, you want to have some games you can play. So Josh, what would you recommend as a game to introduce families to gaming? It's funny. I've been thinking all week about what to play at Thanksgiving this year. So we're going to have a little bit less people than normal. Um, Last year, I made the mistake of giving them a game that was a little heavier than normal. So it's very important for me to make the right decision this year. And now suddenly um, your gathering is smaller. I mean, do you think that's related? <laughs> yeah, people literally moved away from the state to get away from my board <laughs> game choices. Um, so for me, like, uh, I'm hoping to visit my Barnes & Noble tomorrow because they just recently released Harry Potter Codenames and Harry Potter Munchkin. Um, and I think those are good uh, ways to get them into the theme so uh, if we take that harry potter theme um and introduce my family to like munchkin i think that'd be interesting um plus i get to experience you know two new games for myself so um that is something i'm definitely considering um there's a game on your list that i have that i'm considering but i'll let you um um Give well, what do you think? You get are we gonna go back and forth? Or you just want to go through our lists? You know what? Why don't you just go through your list? We'll change it up rather than going back and forth. Just take your list away. All right, so uh, high school, I picked up on the um Barnes and Noble clearance sale, and I think that's a game I would like to introduce to the family and learn for myself for the first time. I can use my cool dies app to teach me how to use it. Um, so I, I, I'd be interested in checking that out. Um, everyone is pretty adapt to board games except for one person my aunt who 
has a very hard time pretty much grasping any game we try to teach her. She couldn't even figure out Family Feud. Um, so we had a tough time last Thanksgiving. So hopefully um, I'm trying to find that game that I can get her involved with. Even the code names, she was saying the word instead of a clue. So <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Um, obviously, I'm a big Century, um, Spice Road, Century Gollum Edition fan. So um, that would be a game I'd like to introduce him to, as well as I'm hoping to grab the five to six player expansion for Sagrada um, because Sagrada is another game that like we introduced to my parents and they really enjoyed. Um, so that would be another game too. And, and per, per, perhaps Villainous will make a appearance at the end of the day, depending on who's sticking around. Um, and I know I'm, you, I'm just using like Thanksgiving for my answers for introducing family to gaming, but that's kind of what's going around in my head right now. Um, so that's those are the games I would I would pick for that category. Awesome. So when I was putting together my list, I was trying to think of things that um, I have either played or have played quite a bit. Things that were reasonably affordable as far as gifts go. For the most part, I didn't want to recommend things that were super expensive. Um, and I also tried to recommend things that you can, for the most part, easily buy. Um, there's a couple of these that are like maybe a little more complicated to get that you couldn't necessarily just get on Amazon. But for the most part, I was trying to think of things that could easily be found. Um, and I, for the most part, other than one of the other categories, I try to go with things that are a little bit lighter weight. Um, so for family gaming, just the things that um, I've had success with um, or games that I think would be excellent if you haven't um, per- picked them up or purchased them or are looking to give a good holiday gift of a family game. Uh, Sheriff of Nottingham is one I always go to. Uh, really fun bluffing game, a chance to um, get people around, get people laughing. And I think the big thing with Sheriff of Nottingham, especially, is if you have a fun family, Sheriff of Nottingham is a more fun game. Like, this is a game that, depending on who your family is or who you're playing it with in general, makes the game fun or not fun. The mechanics in it are make sense, work well, but how you interact with one another um, is really what sells the game. So if you have a fun, boisterous, outgoing family, this is going to be a great game for them. If you have a family that's maybe a little more reserved or maybe isn't quite as outgoing, maybe this game would help them come out of their shell a little bit and and be a little more exuberant, um, but might not be the best fit unless you think that can help do that. But Sheriff of Nottingham, really great fit. Uh, sometimes people aren't a big fan of a game like this because it is a bluffing game and they worry about, you know, Am I teaching my kids to lie and that it's a good thing? <laughs> I, I completely understand that. I don't have kids, so I can't, you know, necessarily relate or, or give parenting advice because I think that's usually pretty frowned upon when you don't have kids. Um, but I think that, you know, it's a game and it's the context of a game. And I, I think hopefully that makes it not okay, but you can hopefully kind of explain that, um, that while playing this game, it is okay to do this thing. So that Sheriff of Nottingham, something I think is a really pretty easy to recommend and i enjoy uh another game is a game called santorini mm-hmm. I, I know i talked about this game back in the day in the podcast um a little abstract strategy game that basically you are building up uh towers so you're basically moving your workers and then building a new level um either on adjacent to where your worker is overall once you build your tower up to the third level and you get a worker up there you win pretty straightforward um so learning the game not challenging very very simple to learn but actually a little bit just some complexity to actually playing it and once you get going you see like how 
um, complex, uh, I shouldn't say complex, but how in-depth the strategy really can be in the game. Um, works well, I think, probably 8+, plus. I think is what the game says on the box, but I know a lot of people feel younger kids, like even down to 6, can play this game okay. And I really like it, too, because it's not very expensive and has a great table presence. Like, it looks really cool on the table. If you're playing at a family gathering, people will see it and be like, oh, that looks cool. What are you doing? Um, so I think that's something that's going to bring people over as well. So Santorini, an easy recommendation as far as that goes. Um, another game in the same vein of what you've talked about already, um, kind of pulling in the Harry Potter theme with Fantastic Beasts out in theaters now. I think a lot of folks are back on the Harry Potter chain. Um, so if you haven't picked up Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle at this time, really great introduction to um, deck building games. Again, a game that most, since they use all the stuff from the films and the art is from the films for the most part, people are going to be able to get into it and recognize it right away. So it's another easy way to get folks involved into something that they're kind of familiar with. Um, you had already talked about Ice Cool. I think that's another easy recommendation. Um, really fun, really light game. But again, the box and the board that you create from the box looks very cool. It has a table presence. You're actively flicking things and it's a dexterity game. So you're getting in there and doing stuff. Um, so I think that's pretty cool. And then the final one I want to recommend just very briefly, because I actually only played it one time. Um, I was lucky enough to win a copy of Arboretum from Renegade uh, on Twitter. Got the game the other day. was able to play it one time. I'm so far, the one game I played of it, I really enjoyed. I've never played it before. This is a reprinting of a game that came out a couple of years ago um, that basically it's kind of a hand management sec collection tile placement. You're basically building um, a garden essentially in front of you and, and trying to create um, the best path that you can through this garden. And the artwork is very stunning. It's a very, the game when you put it on the table, even though it's just cards, looks impressive. Um, and it's kind of just kind of an interesting theme and, and something that's a little different. So I think um, for families as well, it's not super complex, but maybe a little more, has a little more to it than maybe a totally entry-level game. So that would be my other recommendation at this point, Arboretum, um, which I will talk about more in depth next week. So the next category of games we talked about was looking at getting my friend group into gaming. So maybe, you know, you don't just have Thanksgiving. Maybe you have a Friendsgiving. Maybe you have friends that you're going to be getting together with a holiday party, you know, in December sometime. What are some games, Josh, you would recommend either for that or for getting a gift of, to a friend that you want to encourage them to play some games with you? Well, if you're doing like a gaming group, um, the first game that comes to mind that I want to play with my game group is Discover Lands Unknown, um, which is a game that it's one of the unique, very unique games or unique games by, um, oh my gosh, why am I forgetting fantasy flight games? Oh my goodness. Um, this is a game essentially where you, every, every version of the game is different. Uh, you get, uh, between five different land types, each box can uh, has two different land types. And out of 36 characters, each box has 12 characters. Um, and everyone's game will be different. Everyone will have different characters in their games. You might have some of the same characters. But essentially, this is a game that it, it plays almost legacy style. You're um, like exploring a map, and as you start the game... The map tiles are flipped down so you don't know where you're going and it's uh, um, like a survival game. You have to survive as a group to get to a certain destination. And it plays in four scenarios uh, that have diff there's different scenarios in the instruction manuals. So like if you have like desert and um, mountains, 
like desert would be like scenarios one and three mountain would be scenarios two and four um, and you can play through that way and then there's a scenario five on both of them which are just for you to can continue playing once you're done playing the th scenarios you just play it as a regular um, base game um, that's definitely been on the radar something i want to introduce to my friends actually two games photosynthesis is one so far i've only played it with my wife um, if you've been listening to our podcast since forever ago um, you know uh, i'm pretty keen on this game i really enjoy it a lot and um, i really enjoy the theme so something I want to introduce to more people as well as Mystic Veil as a game that only my wife and I have played together and we played with some strangers at Pax Unplugged last year um, but it's kind of a game that I would I would categorize it as sitting on my um, shelf of shame because I have two expansions we haven't played yet and we haven't actually played it in this house together um, and it's an incredible game uh, and it's a game that gets people familiar with what they call the card crafting system, but it's essentially um, similar to a deck builder for people who have played deck builders. It's really it's like a um, card enhancing deck builder where you're strengthening the um, cards in your hand. Uh, and the last game on the list is in the same system. It's called Custom Heroes. It's also done by AEG Games. And... It is a trick-taking game where you can manipulate the cards in your hand to make them higher, lower, stronger special abilities. Um, and you're playing against multiple people. And again, it's only a game I played with my wife with people that we didn't know. Um, so it's a game I would love to get to the table with my gaming group um, and introduce them to. Uh, and an honorable mention to Dice Throne because Dice Throne Season 2, I am expecting in a month from Kickstarter. And this is a game you can go into Barnes & Noble and pick up. It's a fantastic game. The art is incredible in this game. I was lucky enough to meet one of the artists and get my, my box signed by him. But um, they're going to have another huge presence at PAX Unplugged with Season 2. Ironically, they'll probably be selling Season 2 there before I get my copy at home. Um, but I can't complain because I bought Dice Throne at PAX from last year, and the people who backed it haven't gotten it yet either. So, <laughs> uh, but, you know, that's just how the universe works. Um, <laughs> but the Dice Throne is a um, competitive dice rolling deck building-ish game. It's like um, everyone plays like a stereotypical RPG character, kind of. And you have a board in front of you, and you have powers, and you are upgrading your powers throughout the game to make your attacks stronger, your defense stronger um, by rolling dice. Um, it's like a press your luck style game. So I'm a really big fan of that too, and I want to play that more often. And I would highly recommend it. Awesome. So I think an important thing to keep in mind here is obviously there's a lot of you know mainstream or well-known um games that we're not talking about and that's mostly just because like the pandemics the katans ticket to rides like we've all we've talked about a lot uh, so i was trying to look mm -hmm. for some different games so other games for me that i put for looking for friends that you're looking to get into gaming whether it be giving as a gift um or you know trying to you know encourage friends who have come over um couple that i want to talk about one is a game called takanoko i think i've mentioned this briefly in the past on the podcast um, but Takanoko is a really cool game, mostly because I like animals a lot. 
Um, and in this, you are trying to take care of the gi a giant panda bear. Um, and you're doing that by irrigating, cultivating land plots, irrigating them, growing bamboo, feeding the panda bear. Like, it's just a fun, cool game. And it's a really unique theme. And I'm a big fan who's a, I, I really enjoy theme. Um, again, it's a lighter weight game. It's not very challenging to learn. Uh, but it has, another, again, a really cool table presence. Your The bamboo actually grow up vertically as you um, irrigate them. And it, it's just a really cool-looking game. So I'm a big fan of Takenoko. I think that is an easy recommendation for friends um, that you're looking to get in. The next one is going to be a game called Cult Express. And, again, a game I've mentioned briefly on this podcast in the past. Um, I don't know why, but recently I've really had a thing for uh dexterity games i've played a lot more of them than i used to and cult express fits into that um actually totally i think it is not cult express right there um for cult express it's the game where you're basically trying to take over a train and you have different characters that you're going through i was totally thinking of dice town they're uh, they, they, they flick them up yeah think, flick them up thank you i was like <laughs> for cult express you are basically trying to rob a train and you have a set of cards that and the cool thing about that I like about Colt Express is the fact that, you know, every round you are trying to remember exactly like with the program movement, what am I going to do versus what are the other people on the, uh, on the train going to do? Cause you might try to shoot someone who's a car with you in, in the same car as you, but then, Oh gosh, are they going to play a movement card before I'm going to play my shoot card? And then if they play that, what am I going to do instead of this and trying to kind of figure out how that program movement is going to work. Um, but some of the cards are placed down upside down some of them are placed um you know where suddenly you're going to be doing two cards in a row versus rather than one like going around in a circle um to play your movements and it's just a really fun engaging game because a lot of ridiculous things happen in it and this is a game i think the more people you have in it it plays up to six players the more people who are in the game the more fun this game is um playing cult express with two players is not all that enjoyable to me but when you get up to that six players when the ridiculous things are happening when people's movements are all over the place and it's just messing every plan up the game is so much more fun um so cult express really easy thing to recommend if you have um, are just looking to kind of try a, a program movement or a hidden movement game of that. It's not really a hidden movement, but a programming game to a degree um, and looking for a lot of player interaction. This is going to be a really good and fun one to get into. Uh, the next one I'm going to talk about really briefly is Alhambra. If you have friends who are going to be maybe a little more chill, a little more thoughtful, um, Alhambra is going to be a really great way to kind of get into that. You are basically bidding on... Uh, pieces to build your Alhambra. So you're trying to build a structure in front of you out of um, little pieces. And as you build it, there you have rules that you have to follow that like walls can't touch other, or walls have to back up to walls and you have to be able to walk to every single piece of your Alhambra. So you have to ensure that everything connects okay. And basically on your turn, you're deciding whether you're gonna take money or bid on pieces to try to get them, um, or I should say purchase pieces to try to get them um, so it's one of those games that the first time I saw it, I thought it looked really underwhelming. Um, the art is a, it, the art in it is pretty underwhelming. It's a queen game and queen games kind of all look the same. Mm -hmm. Um, and they're not the best looking games that are out there. <laughs> like, but this game is really fun. It's one of the games, one of the first games I ever got into, or when I started playing, you know, designer hobby board games, and it's a game that I still regularly play. Um, it's a little bit harder to find, interestingly enough right now. Um, I think you can get like the base box like on Amazon, but there's a big box version of it, which can't seem to find very well right now. Uh, but still definitely worth picking up if you can find it. And that's Alhambra. Uh, the last game I want to talk about is a game I have only played one time. 
Um, and I don't have it in my collection, but I want to get it in my collection. And I've been thinking about it a lot lately. And that's a game called Burgle Bros. Uh, it's actually a cooperative game. So if you have friends or, you know, you've heard a lot about like Pandemic and those other cooperative games, uh, Burgle Bros might be just slightly more complicated. But in it basically is a cooperative game where you're trying to pull off a robbery in a really secure building. So you are moving on the floors. Every floor has a safe to crack. And you're trying to move from first floor to second floor to third floor cracking all the safes along the way and eventually escaping um, to the roof to get out. There are obviously guards that are involved in it as well that are trying to catch you. Uh, but this is a game, again, that's going to have a really awesome table presence because you do have a three-story building, in essence, on the tabletop. Um, so it's a really cool-looking game and has a really awesome presence. And it's just a different cooperative game than the usuals that you'll find out there of, like, Pandemic and things like that for getting your friends in. So if curing diseases doesn't seem like something your friends want to do, do maybe they want to rob a high-rise. And if that sounds like your friends, Virgo Bros <laughs> might be a good fit. Um, this is going to be a game that's going to be a little more challenging to get as well. Um, is a Tim Fowers design, and he tends to sell most of his games just through the gaming website. Um from Fowers Games, um, but I believe they have free shipping on everything. So it's not like you're really out anything. And I think you can get it maybe through Amazon as well, um, but it redirects, I think, just to Fowers Games. So just be aware, um, not going to be something that you can necessarily like go to cool stuff or something like that and pick up necessarily. So Burgle Bros, that is the other game I would recommend. Um, Josh, if somebody's looking for a little bit of a smaller game, something maybe to fit in a mm -hmm. stocking, what would you potentially recommend? Well, I'm gonna recommend a blind. I'm gonna do a blind recommendation for something I haven't played. <clears throat> I'm gonna recommend Keyforge, uh, which is all the rave, rage, rave. One of those two words right now in the gaming industry. So essentially, um, Keyforge is a CCG collectible card game. Um, you can think of it as magic if you want to to make it more understandable, but. You're not building a deck like you do in Magic. When you buy your deck in Keyforge, you get a standard deck that you don't edit, you don't alter. You just play with the cards in your deck. So for 10 bucks, if you don't buy the starter set, if you buy the starter set, the two-player starter set, it's 40 bucks. So you get four decks and like tokens and everything that you need to play. But if you just want to buy a regular deck, it's 10 bucks. It'll fit perfectly in a stocking. Um, and you can just buy two, and you have two decks to play. You just play them against each other. You practice. You try to master that deck. And if it's something that you like, awesome. If you don't like it, you're out ten bucks. You could probably sell it because people are buying these things up like crazy because they're all unique. Um, so that's definitely a game I would recommend. Uh, another game I would recommend would be Roll for It, which is another small box game. And essentially what you're doing is you're laying out three cards um, at a time. And these cards have pictures of dice on them and scores. And everyone, I think it's up to five players, five to six players. Um, they take turns rolling their dice they have in their hand. Each, one, each person has different color dice. And then after you roll, you're taking your dice and you're placing them on the card that you want to score. So say a card has three ones on it, you can place one a one die on there. Or if you roll two ones, you can put two of your ones on there. But then everyone else gets a turn, and people could potentially also try to score that card. And if they do get three ones before you do, your dice are returned to you, and that person gets that victory point. 
Um, and the game continues to a certain amount of points. Uh, it's very fun. It's it's it has some strategy because you have to decide where you want to put your dice, but mostly it's luck, um, which is fine. I would recommend the unlock games that you can find. These are the essentially escape room games um, that are very popular. Um, you can find those relatively cheap uh, at GameStop on clearance. They're like eight bucks. Um, what else would I say? Uh, Sushi Go, we've talked about before. That's an easy recommendation. And I'm going to go with Flip City. Flip City is a game I really enjoy that that people don't talk about too much. It's another small game. Um, and basically, you're competing against your opponent. Uh, if you played Machi Koro, it has a little bit of Machi Koro elements to it. But you set up this, like, we'll call it a cityscape of cards. Um, and in the name itself, in Flip City, there's also a location on the flip side of the card that is essentially more valuable. And you're drawing cards and playing cards. And as you play them, some cards have frowny faces on them. And if you get too many frowny faces, you lose your turn, essentially negating any progress you've made on your turn. So it's a push-your-luck style game where you're constantly wondering, should I flip another card? Should I flip another card? Do I remember how many frowny faces I have in my deck? And you can put cards in someone else's hand to alter that as well. It's a fun, um, easy game to learn and an easy game to play. Something that's easily travelable, travelable with as well. So those are what I, those are what I would put in your stocking. Awesome. So speak. Very cool. Uh, so games I would recommend for stocking. Uh, one of them is being Red Seven. Uh, Red Seven is a really straightforward card game. Uh, two to four players, and basically how the game works is you're dealt a hand of cards. And you have to play a card on your turn. And at the end of your turn, you must be winning the game. Otherwise, if you can't, aren't winning the game, you are out. Um, and you might say, well, that doesn't make any sense. How are you winning the game? Well, there's seven colors of cards in Red 7. And each of those colors of cards has a different rule on them. So when you play a card, that is the card, or that rule is what is kind of in effect, right? So red is the highest card win. So red 7 is the highest card. Um and then there are, like I said, there's seven colors and the colors are ranked like in Roy G. Biv order for the red is the highest, you know, color, if you would. And violet is the lowest color. Um, but then like, you know, yellow is most, co- most cards of one color wins. Green, most even cards win. Um, indigo is like most cards in a row wins. So whenever you're, as you're playing your cards, whenever you play, you have to be winning at the end of your turn, but you only get to play one card per turn. Um, so really straightforward to learn, um, fun little game, easily fits in the stocking. So that's um, Red 7. Another one that's a very small game that fits well in the stocking and comes with lots of versions is a really simple game called Love Letter. This was all the rage a few years ago. And as a result, there is a number of varieties of Love Letter out there. Uh, but basically, you are trying to, in the ba- in the traditional version of the game, you are trying to get your love letter to the princess. And you do that by, on your turn, you draw a card and you play a card. So you always have one card in your hand. You draw up to two cards. And then you play one of those two cards. And you do whatever the action on that card is. It might have you reveal card or you and your neighbor share you know, what cards you have and whoever has the lowest card is out. Um, it might have you exchange cards with someone. And the goal is that at the end, after everyone has played their cards, 
whoever has the card closest to the princess gets a point and then you play the whole thing over again so i really enjoy love letter it's a game i actually regularly take with me if i'm going on like to like a conference or a meeting for work um it's something that i'll throw in my bag because it fits in there really easily um and it's very simple to teach very fun to play um and it is a really great stocking stuffer um, another game I wanted to go ahead and mention is a game called Shot and Totten. Uh, this game is pr- quite a bit older. Um, I think it came out initially like in the 90s, uh, but it's still in print today quite often. You can still get it. Uh, two-player game, but basically you have like nine stones that are in the middle of the table, and you're just kind of playing like poker-like hand formations, for lack of a better word, in front of these stones. And if you have the better hand in front of that stone, you win that stone. Um, that's pretty much all you're trying to do. So it's a really straightforward game, but there's definitely some, a little bit of depth to it. There's some hand management to it. And you're trying to, like I said, collect these stones. Um, and you know, it's a fun game that I don't think gets talked about probably as often, maybe because it's a two player only game. But, um, if you're looking for something to maybe give to a significant other, um, or somebody maybe that you regularly play games with at work or want to play games with at work, Shot and Totten is going to be a good one. Um, And then the other one that I would say that's a good stocking stuffer is Hanabi, which is a game I've definitely talked about before. But just as a brief reminder, a cooperative game where you're trying to make a really fancy fireworks show. But the interesting thing is, is you know what cards everyone else has, but you don't know what cards you have. Uh, So you hold your cards face out the entire game and you can only give general clues to each other as to what cards are in your hand. And you're trying to make piles of cards from, I think, one to seven. Um, I believe is what it is, or maybe one to five. I can't quite remember. But anyway, you're making these piles up um, and of the cards in order by, so all the say all the blue cards are in one pile and they're in number order. So again, a game that I really enjoy playing, really simple to teach, small box game, easily fits in a stocking. That is Hanabi. All right, Josh, so if people have already been playing games and maybe want to take the next step or they just want to jump into the deep end and, and take on a game that's maybe a little meatier, what would you recommend as a potential good gift? Okay, so there's like, <clears throat> I think uh, uh, Lords of Waterdeep is a good next level game. Um, a lot of people could, you could consider it an entry level game as well. Um, I think it has a, it adds a little bit more complexity than a basic game people play. So uh, Lords of Waterdeep is partial people mover, partial deck builder, um it it has the dungeons and dragons name on it it's definitely just in name alone so um, don't let that scare you away but um essentially you have you have i think you start with two meeples but you can work your way up to i think four or five total as you're playing through the game there's locations in Waterdeep that you can occupy some only let one person occupy them some let multiple people in each location you go to uh, you'll be doing different things. Some locations you can get gold. Some locations you can secure the first player for the next turn spot. Um, some locations you can get cards. Um, and essentially you're competing with the other players that have the most victory points at the end of the game. Uh, there's an expansion to it, which I haven't played. Um, but it's definitely a very fun game. Uh, it was pretty easy to learn um, once we got going. Um, so I'd say that's definitely a good... Um, next level game. Uh, on the flip side, if you want to jump into the deep end, um, Shadows Over Camelot is a game that uh, I would argue is harder than people say it is. Um, there's definitely a lot of strategy, and it adds that thing that Kyle loves in games. Uh, it adds one to potentially two traders 
uh, into this game where you are Knights of the Round Table and you are fighting off um, Pike uh, and um, Pikes and something. I can't remember the name of the other uh, invading armies. You're fighting off two invading armies. You're also interacting with the Lady in the Lake or Morgana. Um, you're fighting off siege can uh, catapults that are going that are happening no matter what, and and you're working together. At least you hope you're working together to manage all these things that are happening at the same time. Uh, meanwhile, if there is a traitor, that traitor is subtly trying to steer you off your path to victory. Um, the game is either won or lost by swords filling up the round table in the center of the board. If there are more black swords, and I can't remember the color of the good guy swords, maybe white, um, the bad guys will win and vice versa. Um, it's definitely a fun, tough, strategic game. And then uh, the last game I'll mention in this category for next step or deep end, this could be considered both. That would be Small World. Small World is a very interesting game. I don't know that we've seen another game do what Small World does. Um, essentially, when you start Small World, you're drafting a race and I want to say subclass. That might be the wrong term for it. Um, but you like you could have like um, troll wizards, or you know, where they have the ability. You have like a race that has the ability of a certain like subgenre class, and you're vying for territory of this map. Uh, think Risk style. However, once your if your race is ever destroyed, you can then draft a new race, and you you kind of do it in the way. Um, some games work where you pay to get a further race down the list. So if you're looking at like the fifth race that you want, you have to pay money onto the one, two, three, and four spot above it to continue that. Um, it's very great, uh, very good. The art is very unique and very um, comical. Um, there's a there's a heck of a lot of expansions for the game that add way more races and abilities. Um, it's a game I don't get to the table enough, but it is very fun. And it's definitely, I would say, a next step uh, game. Awesome. Uh, my sec next step games or heavier games, um, if you want to kind of jump in the deep end, um, one of them is a game called Clank. Clank is a deck building game that has a board and it has you going down into the depths to collect treasure in an effort to get back out before you wake the dragon who is going to burn you to a crisp. Um, the thing I really enjoy this is there's definitely some pressure luck to it. Like I said, there's deck building to it. And there's also player elimination. Like you can just die and not be able to win this game, which I think doesn't happen very often in games anymore. But the cool thing is it happens right at the end. So you still get to play the whole game, but maybe then you just don't get to win it. Um, so I really enjoy Clank. There's also Clank in space. Um, so if you're looking for a more sci-fi theme, you'd probably want to go with Clank in space. But if you're looking for the more traditional fantasy theme uh clank is going to be a great fit uh the other game that I, or another game i'm going to recommend is castles of mad king ludwig um between castles of mad king, mad king ludwig just came out um but i haven't played that yet so i don't know how good it is i <laughs> still recommend castles of mad king ludwig at this point um really cool game that has you building a castle for the mad king um and there's a, i like this game because it's a auction game and a bidding game that you don't see all that often so you're kind of 
you have basically some special considerations that you need to keep in mind for your building. And then there's some general things that everyone needs to keep in mind when trying to build their building to get the most points possible. And then you are just using your resources to build, to bid on the next pieces in order to try to build the next, the best castle you can for the Mad King um, to get the most points. So like I said, Castles of Mad King, Ludwig, um, really fun game, really cool, really unique. And it's fun because it's every time you play, it's a little bit different since you might, pieces might come out um, in different orders. The fact of there's the mind games of trying to figure out how much you're going to bid on things or how much you can bid on things uh, based off what other people are trying to do. Um, and like I said, there is that re-implementation between two castles of Mad King Ludwig. Um, and there's also the palace of Mad King Ludwig. But I'm going still with the old Trident Kudu castles of Mad King Ludwig. So that's what I would recommend there. Uh, if you want to start getting a little bit heavier and more complicated, Five Tribes is a game that I've talked about before that I really, really enjoy. Uh, Five Tribes is an area control game that has basically, you are picking up almost like a Moncala style system where you pick up all the um, meeples that are on one particular uh, place. You move them, you know, around the board. And then when you end, you have to end with the last color meeple you have in your hand. Also has to have another meeple on that space you pick up all the ones of the same color and whatever those meeple whatever those colors um refer to you get to do sometimes they're just straight points sometimes they might assassinate other meeples sometimes they like might let you activate gins or buy gins that you can get in the game um so it's really trying to figure out okay how can i which group of meeples off of what piece do i want to pick up how can I move them to get them to a color where I can maximize the number of meeples I get to get? Um, and it's also going to be a strategy that I'm going for um, in order to try to really maximize the points I have and to try to further implement, you know, whatever method of trying to collect points in the games that you that you have gone through. Um, it's designed by Bruno Catala, so a really well-known designer. Um, but Bru Five Tribes is a game that I regularly come back to and I definitely would recommend and the final game, if you want to get really meaty, um, is a Euro game called Great Western Trail. I did review this once on the podcast in the early days. Uh, Great Western Trail is a really heavy strategy game. Um, if you look at it on Board Game Geek, it is like a top 10 game of all time on there. But it's also a very heavy game that is on there. Um, and it involves you are trying to sell your cattle. You are trying to move them from your um, ranch to the train and send them to a city to be sold and just repeating that process over and over. Uh, so it sounds a little interesting because um, it's all about kind of point to point movement, uh, but there's also some set collection involved with it. You're trying to build up your pool of, of cards and things that you have. You're also building buildings and all these other things kind of along the way to try to maximize not only how far you can send your cows because the farther you send them, the more points you can get, um, but also the speed with which you can get through the trail and all these other things. So Great Western Trail, really fun game. It's one of those things that the you hear the theme and you're like, how can it possibly be fun? But it's actually a really great time. Definitely recommend Great Western Trail. So the final category tonight, Josh, what are just some games that are really fun that you think people should check out and that you would encourage people to gift to one another? So I'm just going to list some things. I won't necessarily explain them because I think we've talked about them a bunch. Um, the obvious first thing I would say is everyone knows how much I love the Century series. So um, Century, Spice Road, Century, Gollum Edition. These are interchangeable, um, but it's a game I, I feel like people should play, at least if not own. Um, Ticket to Ride, I think if you don't have it already, you should own some version of Ticket to Ride. Uh, Seven Wonders is a game you should own uh, if you're a board game 
player. Um, I was just looking at it and I blanked. The Big Book of Madness, I think, is a great game to have. It's not expensive. It's so it, it, it's produced so well. The art is incredible. Um, I'm just really high on that game, even though I'm very apparently terrible at that game. Um, Potion Explosion is another great one. Um, and Machi Koro uh, came into my life this year, and I really think that that is an excellent uh, must-own game, at least some version of it. Um, very simple, yet not. Like, it's it's deceivingly not simple game. Um, and if I'm going to throw in, like, a CCG Star Wars Destiny is a great game. Um, if you're into the Star Wars verse, um, it's definitely something you should check out. It's affordable to get into. You you know, 20 bucks gets you two-player starter set. Um, and then any of the legendary games, like Legendary Marvel, um, any of those expansions or Ascension. All those games are great games to just that are great, like you says. Games that are just great. Those are those games. Very cool. Uh, the few that I'm going to recommend, again, all these I think are, are definitely games I've talked about on the podcast in the pa- past, so I'm not necessarily going to go into it a ton, but Scythe I think is still one of those games that it's easily sits kind of in my top five games. Um, I really enjoy playing Scythe, so that's an easy recommend. Time Stories I really love, mostly because it's a system that's very interesting, and there's a ton of expansions that are out for it at this point. Um, but I really enjoy just... It's a it's a very unique experience. Every story is unique. The the problem solving that you do in it is unique and it's just a cool especially if you can get similar people to, together to play the expansions time stories is great get um everdell which i talked about really recently i am still in love with this game it, it's kind of tough to find right now but if you can get your hands on a copy of everdell i think most people are gonna be really happy with it i i highly recommend that game stuff fable is something that we've talked about a ton but i still you know we just finished it up not that long ago, and I think it's something that is a really good time. And it's a really easy recommend. Really happy with the times I've spent with stuff fables. And, of course, I'm going to recommend it because I always recommend it for every time we do anything, and that's Dead of Winter. I love Dead of Winter. I can play that game every day. It's so much fun. I just absolutely adore it. So, hey, those are our shopping guide for you for 2018 when it comes to board games, some recommendations, and maybe some things to look at picking up for those folks in your life who might be interested in games or maybe you want to get more interested in games we're getting a little long in the tooth but we'd be remiss if we didn't listen you know answer the questions from our wonderful listeners so josh why don't you take this part away all right so we do have a few listener questions uh and thoughts to cover remember you can hit us up at board with vg uh or at the email address board with vg at gmail.com uh, or you can jump in the Discord, like we have a question from our Discord. Um, so our first question from Twitter, question and statement, <laughs> is from Schplag, of course, at their delicious uh, category to player games, Fox and Forest and question mark. So let's address that part first. So for me, I'm going to say Fox and the Forest and Seven Wonders Duel. What do you think for the second one? Man, so you totally stole Seven Wonders Duel. That's fine. Um, I did talk about Shot and Totten already. So Shot and Totten would be a good fix or a good pick. I think, uh, like I said, you said Seven Wonders Duel. I'm going to go also with uh, Star Realms. Yes. Pretty solid two-player game. I'm going to throw out Hive Okay. as okay. a pretty stellar two-player game. I actually haven't played that game in a while now that I think about it, but I, I really enjoy it. I'll um, say Kodama. 
Oh yeah, Kodama's a good one. Targi is another Targi. good um, two-player game. And then the last one I can think of off the top of my head uh, would be Hanamakoji, um, which is a really good two-player game. Uh, if you can find that as well, Hanamakoji is a good uh, two-player game. Yeah, so I, I would throw in Odin's Ravens, a game I'm, I'm very, uh, a very big fan of. That's by Osprey Games. Um, I will say I don't know that I've seen it in many, very many stores. You might have to look online for that. Uh, okay. That's your two player games. Uh, so he continues. Do you like pumpkin pie or clove, cinnamon, nutmeg, ginger, custard pie? I don't know if those are all included in the custard pie. <laughs> That's a lot of things to be included in a custard pie. Uh, I'm going to say a no to all of those. You don't like pumpkin pie? I do not like pumpkin pie. I'm a one and done kind of pie guy. And that's What's apple your, pie. Gotcha. I mean, apple is pretty delicious. Just uh, a regular, generic white dude. <laughs> I do like pumpkin pie. I'm trying to figure out if he is trying to imply that pumpkin pie is just clove, cinnamon, nutmeg, ginger, custard pie. That's funny. Just, like, that's what I'm trying to figure out if that's what he's trying to imply. Um, but yeah, I like pumpkin pie a lot. <laughs> yes. I'm not a fan of most pumpkin things. But that's okay. Uh, what are you looking forward to the most on your Thanksgiving table? Splig uh, has enjoyed smoking a turkey the last few years. Uh, so let's answer that one first. What are you most looking forward to on your turkey table? Uh, the board games I'm playing after. <laughs> okay, I, he didn't say food, so... He didn't. I will say, though, when it, if it came to food, though, it would definitely be the stuffing cooked outside of the turkey. Okay. That was very specific. I am a big stuffing fan, so um, I often look forward to the stuffing at Thanksgiving dinner. <clears throat> All right. And how to deal with the in-laws family when they're in town. I'm going to attempt some games. Well, last time it went over like a lead balloon, but I will try again, he says. And I admire that because I won't even touch board games as a topic with my in-laws. They all think I'm a nerd. None of them are interested in board games. They are all jocks. They uh, couldn't be less interested in my hobby. So I leave them to their thing. Luckily, on Thanksgiving, I don't see the in-laws. On Easter, I don't see the in-laws. I just have to see them. Sorry, I get to see them uh, on Christmas Eve. And we watch football, and I'm okay with that. All right. Uh, so I am not see uh, Thanksgiving actually is usually just uh, the wife and I. We usually don't go anywhere for Thanksgiving, uh, so I don't really have to worry about that at all. Actually, so we get an uh, open invitation if you ever are in Worcester. <laughs> okay, that sounds great. Um, so yeah, so uh, how do I deal with them? I I deal with them by not having to. That's the best way. <laughs> great. Okay, I hope uh, we answered some of your questions, Blake. Um, hey, Shplag, I got a question for you. Uh, where was your uh, uh, submission to the Guardians contest? I'll look forward to your reply on Twitter. <laughs> uh, Seth is the goat. Seth from the PSVG, PSXP podcast, sorry, on Discord. Seth Roy, uh, if, you are, if you're nasty, <laughs> is that what we say? <laughs> uh, he simply had a statement of a question. Good Christmas-themed board games. And I uh, to that question, I that's it. No. Yeah, I don't think there is a good <laughs> <I don't> one. <laughs> there, there are a few North Pole themed board games. Yeah, there's some snow related um, stuff. I have not played them, and I have not heard good things about them. 
I would say don't go to a board game for a theme necessarily. Let the theme come to you. Like if, you know, don't go out looking for Easter themes or Christmas themes in board games. If it happens to have a, a Christmas theme, uh, you'll hear that it's a good game before you hear that it's a Christmas themed board game, I think. Yeah, I don't even know if there's really a good like yeah, I don't I think there's like a holiday version of Flux. Yeah, there uh, maybe I think. But yeah, other than Zombie that, Flux, is that the Christmas one? <laughs> yes, Josh, that clearly but I think there is a holiday version of Flux, I think. Um, but other than that, I'm just like thinking of like games that have snow. Like there's like the snow, there's like that snow expansion for Carcassonne. Um the winter. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, dead of winter. And then like snow tails. It has dogs and snow, so that's great. Snow tails. I have a winter's tail game, but that's mostly um like fable characters. Yeah. Not necessarily. But, but I don't think there is a good Christmas theme board game at all. Like I don't think one exists. So there you go, Seth. If you want to put your name on the board game map, make a good Christmas theme board game. Yeah, there you go. Sounds simple as that. <laughs> Awesome. Well, hey, as always, we love when you write into us. If you do have other questions in the future, reach out to us on Twitter, reach out to us on Discord. Let us know what you want us to talk about. As we wrap up the show, we are clearly a gaming podcast, but we want to give you a recommendation, suggestion, thing we are into that is helping us live a well-rounded life. More often than not, this will not be board game related um, or video game related, but just something else that we're into and something that we're enjoying spending time doing currently. So, Josh, what is your recommendation for a well-rounded life? You know, well, I'll say this. Uh, we, uh, My wife and I watched Kyle's recommendation for a well-rounded life last week. Um, dear Zachary, I have an admission to make. So, when Kyle told me about this movie and I read the description on Amazon, I thought the description spoiled the movie for me. And I'm going to tell you how I read the description. I won't tell you what it said because I want you to, it's important for you to understand what I read. Okay. I read, and I'm paraphrasing my own thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> this guy sets out to make a documentary about his friend's son after his friend dies, only to later find out that he is the father of the son. So <laughs> I'm watching this entire documentary waiting and i'm like how is this going to be possible how what do are they not know <laughs> what are they going to drop on me in this documentary that reveals to me this crazy plot twist and i'm watching my wife and i'm like well, she's saying i have no idea and that never happened so i think it emotionally <laughs> took me out of the movie uh -huh. uh, because i i cry at the drop of a hat i really do i cried just today, replaying to my wife Kevin Smith's thoughts on Stan Lee from his podcast, even though I had already heard it, <laughs> I cried again. Um, I did not. I the the movie is very good. It's very emotional. Um, it's very twisty and turny. But when the inevitable plot twist happens, I was not phased because I thought for sure this was not the plot twist I'm waiting for. <laughs> but I turned to look at my wife, and she was. She lost her mind. She was crying. And she, our ongoing joke in the relationship is she didn't cry at a wedding. She never cries. I, I'm the crier. 
So, and of course, I I started like just destroying her, making fun of her, <laughs> being so supportive, <laughs> such a supportive husband. And she doesn't know that I sent Kyle a video of her crying, but uh, <laughs> I did, <laughs> uh, just to show that that happened. Um, so I recommend you checking it out if you want to see a very powerful uh, documentary, and um, you know something good does come out of it in the end, and it's. Uh, it was great. So you know what my my suggestion suggestion for a well-rounded life is: um, take advice from your friends. Oh, all right. Just regardless, you can you can interpret that as you want. But um, I took Kyle's advice and I watched a documentary that actually um, made me think a little bit differently for a little bit, and I and I really am glad I watched it. So it doesn't have to be a movie or or a TV show or whatever, but. The next time one of your friends gives you some advice, take it. All right. Well, this is tough then to follow this up because now I'm going to recommend something <laughs> and people might hate it. So I'm going to recommend um, another movie. This is not a documentary this time. Uh, I really struggle with recommending this movie, though, because anyone who knows me when it comes to movies, there's a, I'm surprised I, you're recommending this. Why, really? Because of your love for animals. Well, yeah, this is where I struggle <laughs> because... I, I like animals a lot, but I also, not that things have to be historically accurate all the time, but when things are like blatantly not accurate, I struggle with it sometimes. Like I'm okay with like movies that are like inspired by a story so that it's going to like, oh, this is obviously dramatized or things are changed. But when something is like not at all the way it was, I have a hard time with it. However, the music in this movie is so amazing. I couldn't help but like be enraptured the entire time I watched it. I absolutely fell in love with it, even though I didn't want to. I didn't go see it in the theater because I was like, no, this movie is dumb and stupid. And it's like, you know, rose colored glassing, putting on rose colored glasses for everything. No way. And then I finally watched it on video and I was like, oh my gosh. This was like I want. I was actively trying not to like it, and I just. I mean, most people aren't a fan of the Human Centipede. I'm really surprised you're recommending <laughs> it. So the movie that I'm recommending after all that bit of buildup is uh, The Greatest Showman, um, about P.T. Barnum, uh, very loosely about P.T. Barnum at best. Um, but yeah, it was a really. If you enjoy musicals, like it is a musical, you have to enjoy those. I don't think this is going to win someone over who's in a musical fan. Um, but I, I really enjoyed my time with the movie and it, like I said, it, it gave me some pause because I am someone who typically tries to, I, I, I like to think a little bit about like what media says and what movies say and, and what they're expressing and, and, um, you know, as the person I am, you know, what does it mean for me to go and sit and watch a movie and not have to face any of the identities that I have or anything like that? Like I try to think about those things. Uh, but the greatest showman, you know, the music's really good. Hugh Jackman makes me mad because the guy can do everything. He can sing, <laughs> he can dance, and he's Wolverine. Like, how is that even remotely fair? And he's a really good-looking dude. Like, how is this fair? Like, why does one guy get to do all of those things? Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so The Greatest Showman, I really enjoyed it. I've been listening to the soundtrack for, like, the last two weeks since I watched it. Uh, definitely recommend it. So, Josh, what would you say? What do you say, sir? Should we call it a night? I am clearly tired. I think we should wrap this up. <laughs> Yeah, I'm exhausted, man. I gotta be up. I gotta be up shortly for work tomorrow <laughs> already. <laughs> uh, thanks for joining us, as usual, everyone. Uh, remember, you can find us on social media. That's at Board of the VG on all the social medias. Use that hashtag hashtag Board of the VG. Let us know what you're up to. 
uh, facebook.com slash board with Fiji. And oh boy, that, that elusive, uh, no one can seem to catch it, board with VG at gmail.com. It's out there, it's waiting. Uh, in lieu of my plugs this week, I'm going to remind everyone uh, a week from when you're hearing this, I will be in Philadelphia at PAX Unplugged. Um, if you guys have any questions you want me to ask um, game publishers, designers, people you know that will be there, please tweet at me or DM me, and I will do my best to ask them these questions. Um, I am there on my own time. I'm not there in any board with video games PSVG capacity. That being said, um, I'm there to have fun, but if I can squeeze in some interviews and some some work for us i'm going to try to do that i did find out jerry hawthorne is going to be there so if you guys have your mice and mystics film questions you want me to ask um shoot me something and um you know if i can't um ask them in person uh, i will make sure at least i get their contact info so i can at least get some answers but that's it a week from when you hear this i'm going to be in philadelphia back someplace that is exciting so Thanksgiving, you take a back seat. <laughs> Kyle, not, where can people find you? <laughs> yeah, I'm not jealous at all. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, PlayStation Network, Xbox Live, Board Game Geek, all at Psychocross, C-Y-C-O-C-R-O-S-S. Just remember, last week, we announced another giveaway to send an email, boardwithvg at gmail.com. Who do you think from the six nominees for Game of the Year at the Game Awards is going to win? You don't have to get it right. You just have to submit to us, boardwithvg at gmail.com. Who do you think from the six nominees for Game of the Year is going to win? Every single person who enters will be entered into a drawing to win a prize. So just hit us up, boardwithvg at gmail.com, with who you think is going to win. If you have suggestions for future topics, be sure to reach out to us on social media because we want to talk about what you want to hear about. And remember, everyone, whether it be board games or video games, Never stop gaming.